Hey everybody, uh, this episode's long overdue, but it's episode 15 of the Inspiring Brains podcast, and it's good to be getting back into the podcast mode. Uh, I, I've been doing quite a few comedy shows lately. I uh, just got back last night from Calgary doing a handcuff comedy by Dale Ward at Juliet's Castle, uh, which was amazing with my friends uh, Alex Sagan, Nick Fraser, and Adrienne Celeste. Um... And then, uh, as mentioned, I worked with Matt Billen uh, on a show in Calgary at the Laugh Shop. And that actually ended up uh, turning into an entire weekend of shows. Uh, Matt was nice enough to offer me a spot on all of those shows. Uh, so I also went up with my uh, comedy friends, uh, Danny Flexhog and uh, Keevan, a new comic out of Red Deer. Uh, so I was really excited and uh, thankful for all the opportunities. I've got a couple cool shows coming up too. Uh, September 4th, I'll be hosting the show here on Wednesday at Meeting Waters Coffee and Roastery in Red Deer. That's a 7 p.m. show and it's free to attend. And so if you want to try stand-up, I definitely recommend coming out to that one. I'm going to be hosting that. And as well as I'm going to be hosting the show coming up on September 22nd at Heritage Lanes with uh, Chris Gordon, um, who is an amazing comic, been on like Yuck Yucks, and really great guy. Excited to be part of that show as well. Plus, uh, I'm excited to announce that I'll be headlining uh, Handcuff Comedy by Dale Ward on September the 29th. So that's all the dates I've got coming up for now. Uh, But today we're going to switch topics a little bit. Uh, My guest for this uh, episode is... uh, a uh, hip-hop artist out of Calgary, uh, Daniel Bennett, also known as Transit22. Uh, and uh, he's an amazing guy uh, and an and a amazing artist as well. Uh, he's performed at South by Southwest, uh, the Calgary Stampede. Uh, worked with artists like Jan Arden, Astronautalist, POS, uh, Greaves, uh, members, people from uh, Swollen Members. Uh, and he's just a really great guy. Uh, so I was excited to have this conversation with him and just see how uh, music and comedy really compare. And we also got uh, into, uh, we chatted a little bit about his uh, uh, recovery from alcoholism and how that's uh, bettered his performances and stuff. So that was a great chat. And I was just very thankful to have him on, uh, on the podcast. Uh, if you want to check out any of uh, Transit22's music, you can find him on Spotify or uh, just search up uh, Transit22 on Google and you'll find uh, his website and a list of upcoming uh, performances and that kind of stuff. Uh, before we get going into the uh, interview, I'm going to play uh, a little bit from his... Uh, I'm going to play the song uh, Dark Day, Good Morning off of... It's the title track off of his most recent album, uh, and it really uh, sort of, I think, defines him as an artist, I think, in terms of what he's trying to do to create a new sound and share some of his story uh, with my audience that might not have heard his stuff before. So I'll play a little bit of the song uh, off the top and then the rest at the end. Uh, As well, he released a new single called uh, Sorry, which was released on uh, August 23rd. So uh, you can check that out as well. Uh, I definitely encourage uh, uh, supporting him. And you can also go uh, on Facebook and, uh, and see his upcoming shows and stuff. I know he's got a show coming up in Calgary. It's going to be his last show uh, for quite a while. And I believe that's coming up in September. Uh, but without further ado, I'm very pleased to present uh, this interview with... Uh, Transit 22, and uh, if you'd be so kind to like this podcast and share it with your friends, that'd be awesome. Uh, Thank you to everybody who supported it, and uh, I'll see you uh, for the next episode, Uh, and remember to be uh, kind to each other, and uh, thanks so much for supporting this, and uh, artists in general, and I'll see you next time. Take a refill, turn a rebuild 
feeling evil Sick of being me still Cruise around with no seatbelt If I mean hell, I'll be rolling on through in the V12 Up a Miguel They have a surprise, I don't put in my song Sing them a lot and they ask you what's wrong Don't wanna talk, I just wanna belong Hits on my head from the hits in the bong Tossing and turning and yelling my sleep My demons to here, I could tell them to leave Pull out my head, I'ma feel like a free Pills for depression, I guess that I'm weak Ooh, I've been stuck inside a dark day Never see the sunshine, always at the parlay And I ain't even supposed to drink on these pills You don't know how hard it is for me to chill Ooh, I've been stuck inside a dark day Never see the sunshine, always at the parlay And I ain't even supposed to drink on these pills You don't know how hard it is for me to chill I've been through some dark days and dark nights Rolling up in parkades under park lights She played me like an arcade, now I'm archived Had my heart tied, till she cut it with a sharp knife Always at the bar late, I'm a bar fly Don't kill my vibe, I ain't leaving till I'm star-eyed I ain't supposed to be here in the first place Sad and faded, got me drinking like my birthday Ooh, I've been stuck inside a dark day Never see the sunshine, always at the Parlay. And I ain't even supposed to drink on these pills You don't know how hard it is for me to chill Ooh, I've been stuck inside a dark day Never see the sunshine, always at the parlay And I ain't even supposed to drink on these pills You don't know how hard it is for me to chill Hi everybody and welcome to another episode of the Inspiring Brains Podcast with Nick Thielen uh, today, my guest is Daniel Bennett, also known as Transit 22. Um, a little bit about tra- Transit. Uh, Transit 22 is an independent uh, mu- independent music award winner and a uh, Western Canadian Music Award nominated rapper, a Calgary Poet Laureate finalist, and a winner of the Lieutenant Governor of Alberta Emerging Artist Award. His music has been streamed over two and a half million times, and he has gained a substantial national uh, media coverage and is, and airplay. Transit has toured several times across Canada, the U.S., and Europe with the likes of Doomtree, Sage Francis, POS, Fallen Members, uh, Astronomers, Apathy, Self-Titled, and worked with... Uh, Reeves and eight-time Juno Award winner Jan Arden, uh, and he's been selected to showcase on prestigious festivals like South by Southwest, Canadian Music Week, uh, and Breakout West. He's also performed in front of 200,000 people and been a featured artist on the main stage at the Calgary Stampede. Uh, Transit 22 is one of the hardest-working rappers in Western Canada, and the results are evident. How are you doing today, uh, Daniel? Good, good. Good, is it? Yeah. Is it okay if I call you Dan? Call me, yeah, call me, call me Dan. It's cool. Cool. All right, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, um, thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, well, cool. I wanted to get a little bit into your music here. Um, I know for me, I've been a fan for a while. Uh, I, uh, oh, really? I, th- I think, I, well, I, I, uh, I, a while back I bought, one of your uh, albums there, uh, Superman has Superman on steroids. So, yeah, Superman took steroids. Yeah, yeah there you go. Um, I really, really dope, man. I, I really like your your music, and and I really appreciate how hard you how hard you work in terms of promoting yourself. I know you're really like uh, you you you've really built it from the ground up, right? Like a lot of your a lot of your a lot of your work too is it comes from just like working hard and, and, you know, using social media to your advantage and stuff and, and uh, you yeah, know, thank building you. an audience that way. So that's something that I really uh, admired about you. And I know, like, doing a bit of research into your into your work, um, if I'm correct, your first uh, sort of album would have been uh, Insufficient Funds in 2010. Yes. Yeah. So I like I had put out a couple records um, in high when I was in high school under the alias curbside philosophy. We were like 16 year olds, like uh, 
that was like my first kind of job was just selling shirts and CDs out of my out of my locker in like grade 11, grade 12. So I did yeah. like fully press albums before Insufficient Funds and I still have some of them like every now and then I'll get like a collector messaging me on on a band camp or something being like do you have any other rare CDs and I'll like sell them like one of them from when I was like 17 but in terms of like just going as transit or now transit 22 yeah insufficient funds was kind of my like stepping out into the into the scene especially in Calgary because um, I'm from our, I was, I was living in Victoria, so moved over here. Um, and then insufficient funds came out and then that was kind of like my introduction to the Calgary music scene. Yeah. That must be a pretty cool feeling though. When somebody, uh, when, when like a long time fan wants some, uh, way back, like archived stuff from yeah. younger. Yeah. It's weird. And it's also kind of like cringy too, because so much of it is, like it's kind of hard to listen to your 16 year old thoughts yeah so to sell them to someone else who you know is gonna also listen to them like some of my rhymes i'm like oh my god like i think i have one of them on this 16 year old album where i rhyme cute face and suitcase or some shit like that (laughs) i like that yeah so (laughs) so i mean but whatever you know like if they're a real if they're like a true like i'm not gonna lead with that as my selection on spotify on my profile but if there's someone (laughs) who's there's someone who's a fan who wants to hear it you know and i have spindles of it like just i have like hundreds of cds because now cds are obsolete so you, you just own so much stock of this stuff that no one's ever going to want. So whenever a collector hits you up, it's like, yeah, here, I'll send you five of them. <laughs> like, yeah. So you you're actually born in Red Deer and then you moved to Victoria, BC. Yeah. Now you're, now you're in Calgary. Um, so, I mean, how much, how much music were you doing in Victoria? Was that just through high school and in, kind of getting into it? Or? Yeah. So, like I, I first kind of like I was always kind of a little bit of a closet rapper. Like I was always writing and stuff like that. But it wasn't like nowadays where like there'll be five people in every high school who have an album out. Like nowadays everyone's a rapper. It's so accessible to just buy the equipment yeah. and stuff like that. But for us, it was like a huge undertaking, and it was kind of like kind of risky knowing how your friends would accept you like being like yeah i'm a rapper now so anyways when i finally started publicly rapping it was like grade 11 and we would rent out the theater in my high school um and we would say like hey uh we'll give half of the money we raised to charity and we'll take half so we would do like two dollar concerts at lunch so there's nothing else to do at lunchtime right so um we'd fit fit like two three hundred kids from the school would just come watch to see us rap um and and i would also like i would have different representatives in each grade so like the grade eight kids might be too intimidated to come and talk to us to buy merch so i would like have i would if if i had like a super fan in each grade i would like give them the stock to keep in their locker and then they would like they would get the merch for free. They would get the tickets for free, but they would like sell them to their classmates and then like report back to me. So we that's had, super cool though. That's like yeah. from starting out, that's already some serious like entrepreneurial skills yeah. even in high school, right? <laughs> Yo, fourteen years later, and I'm still living off of merch. So that's amazing, dude. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, that's always that's always uh, right now. I'm waiting for FedEx to dropped me off like 200 pairs of couch money sunglasses um so yeah it's the same shit that's dope um so i wanted to ask you a little bit like um so when you when you make music uh does it does it vary in terms of the, the creative process for you are you do you sometimes come into it with lyrics and then work on a beat or do you, or do you yeah. have do you have music that you work on beforehand and then you work on the lyrics afterwards or how what's that process like for you it's it does vary um sometimes like if if you're going through a certain emotion that you feel like you really need to convey you might not have the right beat for it so it's hard right so you might have to 
um, just go on YouTube and put some, find a different beat. Sometimes I'll write to things like Odessa or, you know, just like kind of wavy instrumentals. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't like to do that because it, it can kind of be a disadvantage because if you, if you don't write something tailored directly to the beat, then it can kind of sound out of place. Um, so I do prefer like waiting to get the beat. Usually what, what kind of happens now is um, my producer, who's a guy named Conan, he'll send me like, He'll send me like a, a rough skeleton of what a song, like maybe one piano loop and a drum. And if yeah. I like that idea, then I'll start writing to it just as bare bones kind of skeleton. And then we just build the track on top of that. So um, when you first hear the demo, it's like really stripped down, like just a raw idea. Um, so, yeah, it does. It does really vary. Sometimes, though, you, you don't have a beat and you need to write like you'll just be like, I need a writer. I'm going to go insane. So you just write to anything. Yeah, you mentioned working with your producer. Um, it, would you say is, is he one of your uh, mentors when it comes to music or do you have certain other people when you first started that inspired you and you first? Um, yeah he definitely is because he's like so like i we've worked with so many different beat makers when i say producer it's mostly like usually you just think beat maker we've worked with so many different beat makers over the years and like my dj johnny williams he makes some of the beats as well but this conan guy he's uh he's in a band called little india which is a like an indie rock band from vancouver and you know they they have you know a few million on spotify and like they have this really cool sound and i met him at like a battle of the bands there was like top 12 bands from alberta top 12 bands from bc um for this thing called the peak performance project we all went out to this like artist boot camp and so i met him i met him there and the cool thing i like about working with him is that he's from a band so he's not like got these preconceived notions of what hip hop should sound like. So that's how we can make such unique sounding music. Like I, I like to have more of like an eighties dance pop kind of weird running bass um, sound to a lot of my songs. And you can't really do that yeah. with someone who's just making the same hip hop beats as everything, everyone else. So yeah, like he's, he's a mentor in the way that he challenges me to look at a song differently. Like I'll come in with a song thinking it's a hundred percent finished and you know he'll we'll wrestle with it and we'll realize that we didn't even have the chorus that we end up using like so it's good to have someone to like challenge you and be like no it's not done what about adding in this what about taking out this what about you know what about cutting the song a minute cutting a song a minute shorter so that you know it hits harder it's a hard thing to adjust like nowadays 2019 people want shorter songs so that's kind of where where a good producer can come in and and help you make those decisions. Right. Um, so do you remember the fir- like the, your first kind of uh, performance in the moment you realized, like, um, you know, maybe hip-hop or, or rapping is, is something that I want to pursue uh, full-time and kind of see how far I can push it? It's actually funny you say that, because I was just laughing to myself about my, my first, like, rap performance ever was at like a Christian, because I grew up in the church, my dad's a pastor, um, was at like a Christian youth conference, and um, I was like 15 years old, and we remixed Lose Yourself by Eminem, because um, yeah. <laughs> you're a young white rapper, that's like the only the only song that matters to you. Yeah, so, yeah. So I'm in the I'm in the crowd with like a wireless mic and my hood on, and the beat starts playing the Eminem lose yourself beat starts playing. And I pull a wireless mic out of my hoodie pocket and I just start ripping raps and then I go on stage. And it's just like, so funny to think about now. Like I just like roll my eyes at it, but yes, it was so innocent. Um, and, and being on stage and immediately, yeah, it was something that I couldn't, I couldn't ever imagine being happy or doing anything else um so yeah that ever since then and then you go through a few years of like not having fun on stage or at least i did um and that might have been just from being like super out of shape super drunk a lot of the times like sometimes i go on stage after 
25 drinks or something stupid because you're just at the bar the whole time waiting for sound check and stuff like that. So I did have a few years where performing wasn't fun, but now it feels it feels like it did at the beginning and I'm like smiling for like half of my set now. So yeah, I'm, I love I love it. That's awesome, man. Um, so how does it um, like? I mean, obviously there's a lot of hard work that goes into what you've created so far, but um, I'm interested to to kind of try to figure out like. I mean, I think the first song I ever heard from you was uh, "I'm So Indie." Um, right. That's a while back, but um, um, like. So, was it? Is it just a matter of were you doing a lot of shows in different places and and, and setting up your own shows that people were were buying your CDs and, and noticing your music online? Or because like now you're you're over two and a half million streams online and um, your lead single there off uh, Dark Day Good Morning just got a hundred thousand streams on Spotify. Um, like. What's that like for you, man? Like that. I mean, that's that's a pretty. That's a lot of people listen to your music. Is it, does that come from like touring? Does it come from just like yeah, self promotion online, or what is what is that like for you, man? Just having that many people listen to your music. Well, a lot of it is like, and it's kind of crazy because songs like "I'm So Indie" um, that was just like viral, so that that to to date that is my most viral song it has like 750k on youtube um but those fans like they don't stick around they like the song they might get it on itunes but they never like really come back and follow you so the majority of my streams um they're not from being featured on big playlists or they're not from uh, and, and that can be like a huge momentum builder. If you get featured on a playlist, you can get like a couple million just, just from that. Like people just find you through that. But the craziest thing about the streams right now is that they're mostly from my profile and from people just knowing and, and following and being like, I listen to transit, whatever he puts out, I, I get it. And that is from touring. Um, that's from, uh, we did a lot of touring in the United States with guys like POS and Astronautilus. Um, that is from like chilling at the merch table for like hours before the show, talking with fans. Like if I'm at a show with 60 people, I'm viewing that as an opportunity to, you know, meet these people personally, um, find out who they are, talk with them and stuff like that. And then that's a potential it's a potential supporter. Um, and you got to like kind of, despite how tired you are and shit like that from being on the road. So a lot of those, a lot of those streams and stuff are from relationships we've built with good people all over the, all over the world. It's not like a viral sense that nothing really goes huge. Nothing is like peaking, hitting a million and stuff like that. It's just solid momentum. Um, it's just solid. I know that if I put something out, people got me. Um, it's not a fickle fan base. It's not, there's not a lot of highs with it, but there's no, it's just, it's just is, it's just, it's the underground. We're working the underground circuit and we're, we're, we're staying hungry and we're putting out music for people who, who want to support it. And we're just staying, we're just staying, um, like real people and, a lot of people are turned off by artist experiences when they meet their favorite artists, they treat them like a dick. And, and <laughs> so we, we just, we try and you got to stay. Well, I noticed that in a lot of your music too. Cause, um, well, you know, like you do talk about being from Alberta and Calgary and, and, and like staying true to your roots sort of a thing, which is really cool. Um, now like you've been doing this for performing for like 10 years. What for you is, is the motivation to keep doing it after that long? I mean, I know you have some pretty cool highlights so far, but what what's your personal motivation to keep you keep you coming back to doing music or going on tour? Yeah, it's a good question because I used to always say, because I just turned thirty, and I used to always say, um, if I hadn't hit this certain pinnacle by age 30 that you know i would give it up if i wasn't didn't have this much uh, amount of fans or this amount of money that i would give it up and 
it's not my career isn't at the level that I was, you know, dreaming as a 14 year old. But there's a lot of people who like live and die for what I say. And for me, when I was growing up, when I would listen to artists and they would, you know, the lyrics would change my life, like guys like Sage Francis, Atmosphere, stuff like that. I wanted to do that for someone else. Like I wanted to say things that people would tattoo on them, write on their walls, like just like, like I, I wanted to make lyrics that, you know, were impactful. And so for me, the reason why I keep going now is that I have people who cling to, to the music and, and, you know, it's, it's a community thing where it feels like, like, for instance, I, there was this one fan of mine who was, his name was Rune. I met him on tour in BC and he's a 12 year old boy. He ended up uh, spending his birthday money on my Kickstarter campaign, um, which is crazy. Like imagine spending your birthday yeah. money on like a Kickstarter. So he was like this huge fan, um, memorized every song, loved loved the music he ended up uh, uh dying in a car accident a few months ago like in a couch money too um and they buried they buried him with like a copy of my cd i ended up making like a tribute song to him and like having the the money go to his mom um but for for him like when 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 i was like his story and the way that he connected with my music is a major motivator for me right now to keep doing what i'm doing like when i keep hitting walls or we have a bad show we think we're gonna have this great show and and it flops in somewhere in bc or something like that like anytime like that um where you hit a wall uh you really just remember the people who like cling to to the shit you say um so yeah that's honestly the only the only motivator which is why yeah it's fun to fun to go viral with i'm so indie i could have just done that i could have been a macklemore i could have just done viral hits i had eight hour <laughs> challenge bad. i had i'm so indie i had like all the all the all the momentum that i had was with joke songs and i just didn't want to be known for that so i purposely started making artsier music with less accessibility um and so it's a different fan base now it's not yeah. it's not 700k on youtube but maybe someone will tattoo the lyrics on their skin you know what i mean you've done quite a bit of touring what was the first time what was the first time you toured is that just something that you set up by yourself or um is there yeah so i would always like try and book um like little youth center shows rec center things like that when i was like 18 19 we would try and book bars and things like that and we would set up our own like i would i would book the tours and set it up and sometimes you play like regina and there's no one there except for the staff like that happens a lot um you just have to keep building off that maybe you make four fans at that show you know what i mean and then the next time you come, you multiply it, you multiply it, you multiply it. So, yeah, we, we, I always book it myself, but a lot of the time. Yep. You good? Yeah, I'm good. Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. Um, that's a nice ringtone, though. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Is that a banjo? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a generic uh, iPhone ringtone. I should switch that up one of these days. <laughs> yeah, put, I'm so indie. There nice. you go. I think it might even be a ringtone option because it was around when people were buying ringtones. You performed at uh, South by Southwest, and that's something that I've been to. I went in 2016, which was pretty cool. Um, oh, for did you did you perform at? Did you? Perform I at? I did, and I went to. Uh, I I just went uh, for like the media portion of it. Actually, right. uh, I started doing uh, like. I started doing stand-up basically like right after I went because I uh, like stand-up was something I was thinking about for a while. But then like I just found uh, I, I was going to all these media events like during the day and they were super cool. But during the evening I was going to all these like little kind of underground comedy shows they had set up for cool. during the during the festival. So that was pretty cool. Um, one of the one of the reasons I ask you about the, the touring thing is because. Um, for me, as a comedian, I noticed that a lot. Um, 
and I'm just interested to see the the the, uh, the, the crossover or maybe the perspective from from a musician. Um, like, is it is it difficult? Like, for me, sometimes when I'm trying to like get on a show or, or book a show, sort of a thing, I find that in terms of like a comedian, they think that maybe you wrote the jokes on a napkin like last Tuesday at Denny's or something, right? Okay. And they <laughs> maybe they don't necessarily see it as as much of it, as as much of an art, I guess. But uh, um, right, do you, do you ever have like trouble convincing, you know, convincing people about your music or like, um, or or you know, like getting into a certain venue? Or those uh, oh yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. You're always there's always going to be be that. Um, be people who don't understand what you're doing but i think the best way to conquer that is to mobilize your friend group and whatever resources you have and go to the venue and be like yo i got 40 friends who want to come drink beer and eat wings and watch me perform yeah and you know if you have that's really the main thing is that if you have social proof or you have some people behind you i mean even if you only have if you don't have any quote fans and you just have friends who support you you just got to mobilize them figure out how you can get them all out to the to the thing and then venues are going to be like okay like and so usually when i'm hitting it up hitting up a venue that doesn't believe in me you might have to come back and be like this is how many people i think we could bring out that's hard because a lot of people you know they might not be able to bring out people but that's really where the only the only concern is with a venue they don't care they don't care if it's good or not they don't usually bartenders hate the music about the yeah they just yeah. want people there right so um but it is it is annoying you have to definitely stay humble because you know you can come from a sold-out show in texas and you can fly home to calgary and just get treated like a piece of crap by like a sound man at a venue that you know and you can have this ego about you like yo shut up i just played sold out show last night now you're treating me like this but (laughs) that that's the that's this industry you know no one gives a shit you just gotta go in with the same humility as your first show and you know just Taking on the shin when people don't mess with it. Right. So, tell me a little bit about, uh, if you can, about how how you feel about the uh, the Calgary music scene as a whole. Like, um, do you have you like or or hip hop in general? Like, you see you see hip hop in Calgary growing, or uh, like has it has it grown over the years, or how how are things in Calgary for you now? Yeah, like when we. When I started throwing shows in Calgary, like 2009, 2010, um, there wasn't really much of a hip hop scene. There was, you know, some some dudes doing their thing and there was some promotional companies putting on shows. Um, But there wasn't there wasn't that big of a community. So what I would do is I would perform with like indie bands, rock bands, metal bands, things like that, because there was a scene for that. Now, now there's things like 10 at 10 um and and like just different community things where there is a lot more of a hip-hop presence in calgary um i think i think maybe maybe there isn't enough uh self-sufficiency from the acts i think that a lot of the rappers or singers in town they rely on different promoters like they won't go book their own show. They'll only ever perform at if it's a local showcase or things like that, which is, which is fine. It's good. It's good to build up that community, but um, you're never going to make any money that way. Like you're never going to be able to support yourself if you're only performing for free at these showcases. So there's tons of hip hop showcases where, you know, you'll go to the Lilac festival, you'll go, you'll go um, anywhere in the city and there'll be like 10 acts playing um if you were able to just not do that show and do your own show like we do then every person who comes to that show is a paying customer for you so i've always i've always done my own thing separate from the scene 
I like to put on people, have my own little community, but I'm not going to be playing certain festivals um, that ask me to play if, in Calgary if they're you know offering me 50 bucks to perform at Sled Island. I'm not going to do yeah. that because okay. if I can contact the venue directly, like it's a bit of a scam, you know what I mean? Because they'll get you to come in. And they'll be like, hey, bring bring all your friends, bring 40 people. So your 40 friends pay 20 bucks each, right? And then they drink uh, $20 each at the bar. And then you leave with, with nothing, but you've got your name out. So that's a common thing. And it's all over, yeah. the, it's all over the scene. It I works choose... similarly in stand-up too, man. Like, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, you've experienced they, things like that. They, they, uh, I mean, I'm only four years in, so I'm not an expert, but... You know, a lot of the time, I I notice there's there's some shows or some things where they try to pay you with exposure if you wanna. Right. They're, they're like, yeah, you know, you, you bring your friends and then they'll, you know, and that's whatever. That's like totally needed. Like I I I perform in cities like New York for free. You know what I mean? Like if I'm in L.A., of course I'm performing for the exposure. Yeah, because um, you're trying to build a scene there. Right? Trying to build a scene there. But if I have a career in Calgary and I know that every time I do a show that I can bring out a certain amount of people, I want to be paid for that because I live off of my music. Like, I need to be strategic about about what I how I, how I move. So, yeah, the scene is growing. There's a lot more opportunities. But I feel like a downfall is that artists need to learn how to do it themselves, get out of the city. Like shout out to easy Mac. That's, you know, that's been a homie of mine for a few yeah. years and he's self-sufficient. He didn't, he didn't just wait for it to be handed to him. Um, there's so much talent in this city. There's some artists that I go see perform and I'm like, wow, you are incredible, but you have no business mind because the only time you've ever performed they've all set it up for you. You just show up at the venue with a USB stick and a microphone. You've never really had to learn how to talk to a venue, how to organize it and things like that. So, um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I think there's more and more people who are becoming self-sufficient. Yeah. And, but they all move away. You know what I mean? Like they all, Absolutely. like Easy Mac becomes self-sufficient, moves to Vancouver. Cartel Madras becomes self-sufficient, moves to Toronto or LA or wherever they're going. Um so what for you is the is the draw to staying in Calgary? Uh, and well, I love. I mean, I I love it here. I have my my best friends here. Um, yeah. For me, like, I like doing things in this city that that haven't really been done before. There's a lot of there's a lot of really good energy in this city. There's a lot of really good people in this city. There's a lot of talent in this city. Um, I can tour elsewhere, like. We can play, like there was a stint where we were touring a lot in the states. We haven't really been out in a while, but we were, there was a stint where I was like reflecting on it. I was like, I played New York four times last year, and I only played Edmonton once. So, cool. it it was, it's something where you don't have to move to these cities to to be heard in these in these cities. You know what I mean? Like my number one uh, demographic in on Spotify is is Chicago. That's like my number one streaming market. And when we go perform in Chicago, I performed in Chicago like two years ago, opening for POS. We only brought 300 CDs for the whole tour because we're like, people don't buy CDs. And we sold all of them the opening night. So wow. it's like tempting, like, mm, should I move to Chicago? And that maybe could right. be a thing. That maybe like... Who knows? Maybe that would take me to the next level. Maybe that would. Um, as for me, life is not all based on that. If I could still play those cities, I could still hit those people. I want to live in my house in Calgary with my friends, raising my kid. Like, just I love Canada. I want to. I want to stay here. I'm a dual citizen too. I have an American passport, so I could. Oh, yeah. I could. I could move over there. But yeah, I just. I got it tatted on me, man. I got the Alberta outline on my arm. So that's what takes a lot of hard work, and that's super cool. That uh, you know, I think I think especially you talking about performing in in New York that much as com compared to Alberta. You know that that shows a lot of growth in terms of you know um, 
Well, and that's uh, not to say that I have like a huge buzz in fan base down there. Last time we played there, there was like 12 people who were there for us. And those 12 right. people, like that meant the world to me. Like yeah. playing, playing like a legendary venue in Brooklyn and like four people in the crowd uh you're rapping and you look over and they're singing the words like that's just mind-blowing it doesn't matter the magnitude of it because you know you do these indie rap shows it's probably similar to stand-up like 10 people come for this person 20 people for this person maybe 100 for the headliner um so yeah when when you have those people showing up wearing couch money gear that we shipped out from calgary it's a beautiful thing yeah i was gonna say like the whole buying cds that shows sort of thing to that to me, I mean, I had I had friends laugh at me before saying, you know, I'd go to sometimes I still go to the store and buy a CD if I really enjoy it. And for real, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I do. But what do you play uh, on? Well, you know, I got my car. I usually play it in the car, right? Okay, um, yeah, you still have a car. I've, I've got, I've got my. You, you have, uh, you know, you got iTunes and all those sorts of things. But I mean, yeah. I don't know. I I just like the uh, the idea too of. Of uh, of having a physical CD, and the thing is too, I think, you know, yeah, like you mentioned, mm -hmm. like you sell out a lot of uh, CDs at shows, but especially like I find it hard to like not buy a CD when I go to a show because you know it's like directly supporting the artist, and it's well, like it's it's like it's cool not a, but it, and then it, it's also a matter of like because there, there's not as you know you know you know the money is directly going to the artist and it's not like. 20% going to the, whatever the store or whatever the, right. whoever the people are making the profit off of your, your music necessarily. Right. But I wanted to ask you a little bit about, you know, being from Calgary and having performed on the, on the main stage at the Stampede, uh, what was that experience like for you? So that's, that's kind of a crazy thing because that's another example of like, so I didn't get that gig from performing in Calgary. I was discovered for the Stampede because I did a show um, at the Roxy Theater in L.A., which is like a legendary theater down in Los Angeles. I was opening yeah. for uh, Doomtree at that show, and there was this, like, uh, this dude who came out to, to watch me, like kind of like a showcase, and he ended up texting this other dude who's like, uh, his name is Day. Uh, oh, man, I just blanked on his name. But anyways, he was like Michael Buble's producer, uh, Dave Pierce, Dave Pierce. Uh, okay. He was Michael Bublé's producer, and he did the music for the 2010 Olympics. So he had like a Emmy. So this guy called me up, and I'm like Wikipedia googling him as he calls me up. He's like, "Yo, it's Dave Pierce. Uh, my friend Bob saw you in Hollywood, and he said I'd be foolish not to get you on the Calgary Stampede this year." And I was like, "Oh, sick. Okay." So they they uh, it was for the grandstand show. Um, yeah which is like a variety show. So mm -hmm. they have like uh, dancers, singers, acrobats, like things like that, fireworks. So I only did one song and the song that they, they had was because it was for the 150th Canada anniversary, they wanted to do uh, a song about Canadian inventions. Okay. So, so like, just premise is like hard to make not corny to begin with you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah fair enough so they sent me this they sent me this uh rough audio file of them rapping about canadian inventions that just like <laughs> it obviously sounds like high uh like substitute teachers trying to make a rap <laughs> with their class like it's yeah. um let's yeah. talk about the alley-oop like stuff like that so yeah. So we, I rewrote it. Talking and, about the invention of the telephone or something? Yeah, I talk about that. I say, like, so next time you see LeBron James in the gymnasium, just know it all started by the brain of a Canadian. I talk about ginger ale, like, mixing <laughs> rye and toast to our nation. Like, I tried to make it, like, it, it sounded okay, right? Like, it sounded good. Yeah. I, I, I revamped it, but. Did you have to make it family-friendly, too? Oh, 100%, man, 100%. Because there's 200, that, there, or there's 20, there's 25,000 people in the audience each night, and you're, like, jumbotroned up, like, so, the crazy thing, though, is that they, they got me this, like, $4,000 leather jacket that, um, 
because it was about Canadian inventions, they got this white leather jacket to look like a lab coat to make me look like a scientist. Like crazy scientist. So I'm wearing this like $4,000 jacket, which is like around how much they paid me, which pissed me off, by the way, because I was like, they just spent as much on this jacket as they did on me. I like kind of want <laughs> want more now. But yeah. so they did this jacket, they get it tailored to me and I'm performing in like 35 degree weather in this massive coat running up these stairs like this is at the height of my alcoholism too so i'm just so out of shape um sweating out in this in this white coat like yeah the stampede thing was dumb that was a crazy experience after my after my song there's like basketball players flipping over me off the trampolines and dunking and then fireworks and stuff like that so it was it was fun. I had a trailer like on the grounds. They would like chauffeur me from my house directly to my trailer, so I never had to go through a single Calgary Stampede lineup because screw that. Like I, I wouldn't even want to do the show. If it That's was, super but, cool. Did you uh, so is have you done uh, more shows where you've had to to censor yourself? Because like as I'm just asking from a comedian's perspective, because I've had to do that sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I think that, like, I have music, for the first few years of my career, like, for the first, like, probably half of my career, I didn't swear in my music, so I do have songs, and I also kind of, like, I do all-ages shows sometimes where, like, some of it is easier to kind of cut out or say something different. Um, I think part of being an entertainer is being able to entertain different audiences differently, so... um being able to do like a daytime show differently than a club show. Um, right. So yeah, I do have times, I do have times where I have to, I try avoiding, I try avoid like freestyling um, when it's yeah. censored. Cause that's it's slippery slope. <laughs> your mind can just go anywhere. And if you have yeah. words in your mind that, you know, rhyme, like for instance, like every rapper will have like crutch freestyle bars. So like, for me, I would know, like, ridiculous rhymes if, like, this is ridiculous, sick of syphilis, like, something like that. And then you're like, wow, yeah. you just said syphilis in front of 100 grade three kids, you know? <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> so what do you uh, do? Do you write, like, different jokes? Uh, well, the thing is, uh, I mean, for, for, like, a clean show, I've got some material that's clean. So, And then I've also tried to, like, um, so, for example, like, one of my jokes... I have is uh, it's it's weird I know but my parents grew up on a farm so I talk about the fact that they had llamas and uh, one day I, I walked into the barn and they were uh, they were having sex so I talk about the llamas fucking um, sometimes and so like um, for me like I just tried to figure out a way like is there a way I can tell this story without swearing or is there a, is there a word that I can <laughs> yeah. u- use instead of dropping an F-bomb, that, uh, I don't know, like, I've used the word, like, coitus sometimes, or things like, I just try to figure out, like, it, it really is a matter of, like, uh, performing and seeing the audience's reaction to totally, you telling a joke differently, right? So, it's a little bit different in the sense that, like, I don't know what the audience reaction is going to be until I say it, and then there might be, like, I might have to go through, like, you know, I, I don't know, maybe like yeah. 10 different versions to figure out which which one is best and which one gets the most laughs. And right. I, I would think it's probably, like you said, kind of the same way with with music and comedy in the sense that, like, even though there's some jokes, I, I, I don't know, there's probably only, like, one, maybe two jokes that I even sometimes tell when I first started. But, like, comedy is also one of those things where, like, it's the, the jokes are never really finished and you can always like re- reword them and then rework them into another right. part of your act too so um yeah so i guess in this in that sense um music and comedy would have uh some crossover for sure um, yeah and with my shows like i try and like there, i try and have a little bit of a comedy aspect to my show like i'll have some jokes written in uh to my set like especially when i'm on tour in the states i have a little bit of a set about um, like being Canadian and Forney bars. Yeah. Like I just talk about, I just talk about like 
um, like America shitting on Canada and South Park and like our retaliation is like Justin Bieber and Nickelback and like things yeah. like that. Just like crowd pleasing things like that or when the crowd won't come up to the stage and I'm trying to get them, I'll be like, come come up to the front. I want to like sweat maple syrup all over you or, you know, <laughs> things like that. But, and my friends will always say and fans have said like, yo, you should try, you should try stand up and um i've thought about it and i've talked to a few of my friends who are rappers who tried it and the thing that they say is so terrifying is when i'm doing it i have a dj behind me right so if yeah. a joke if a joke doesn't land he just drops the beat and it's like easy like we transition out of that feeling like that but yeah. if you a joke doesn't land then you gotta like sit in the sit in the moment of it and yeah. like just soaking it so and a lot of the experience with stand-up too like i I'm, I'm new to it but a lot of what i learned is like um even just the the flow of of stand-up right because sometimes you gotta like especially in like showcases for example where you only have a certain amount of time uh, you really want to try to make as many like get as much laughter as possible but then you work so hard for the laughter it's like you're like, you know, shut up. I want to tell all these jokes in this five-minute segment I have. But then but if people are laughing really loud, you want to you wanna let that laughter, you know, ha- right. take its course. So it's different, too, because, like, um, I'd, I'd be interested to kind of get your perspective on it. Because, like, uh, like, when when you're performing, usually people are you probably, like, cheering or bobbing their head or something, right? Whereas, like, with comedy... You know, you have a punchline. If it works really well, they're laughing pretty hard, or it can go. It can go a lot of different ways, but right. it's it's a lot harder, I think, to build that momentum sometimes. Yeah. Because like people are generally people are like sitting in their seats in a in a stand up show, so it's a lot. It's a different environment too. And yeah. uh, I don't. And I, 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 go ahead. And everyone thinks they're funny. Like everyone yeah. thinks. Everyone thinks they're funny, so it's not like with rap where not everyone thinks they can rap. Like people, if you can go on stage and you can go like, like do some fast rap, you can kind of like impress most people. But people are like critics at a comedy show. They're like, I'm funny too. Like this guy, this guy wasn't funny. Like they think they all think that they could do it, which is messed up because it's probably one of the hardest things you could do. And a lot of times, and I was kind of wondering if you've had to deal with this, like a lot of times we have to deal with like TVs being on at the, at the venue or like other extraneous noise. Like, I mean, you know, cause people sound on, well, people go to the bar, right? For example, like we do a lot of bar shows. So then people will go to the bar to like watch the game, for example. And then Uh, we're trying to like do a show and you've got to compete with like the Raptors game or something that's on. Yeah, I try and avoid that. I hate that. One time, one time I was doing a show in Vancouver during uh, when the Canucks were making their like Stanley Cup run a few years ago, right. and uh, we were setting up at a bar that was just full of uh, Canucks fans. And right where the stage was was where is where like one of the main screens was. And I'm wearing an L.A. Dodgers hat, but they were playing the Kings. So, like, everyone's, like, pissed, yelling yeah. at me, thinking I'm a Kings fan, like, sound-checking during the game and stuff. It was the worst. Yeah. There is a, there's a lot of that. Luckily, like, if you can get yourself to a good relationship with a venue, you can kind of, you know, tailor, tailor the vibe how you want to. Um but I mean, with Raptors games and stuff like that, it's yeah, it's 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 insanely stressful when you have a show coming up and you're like watching it to see if it's gonna land on the same day because it could yeah. be detriment, could be detrimental to it. Transition. I wanted to mention something here. Yeah, like you're kind of a pretty big basketball fan. I know, like one of the songs that I really really like that maybe not a lot of people have heard is uh, is the Grizz, which is a song that you made about uh, about the Vancouver Grizzlies. I think that's that's a really it's a really dope track. It awesome, thanks. Caught in my head a lot, so cool. Especially like I'm like people should check that song out now that like everybody's all you know NBA, love, I, love I, it, I, loving I, yeah NBA yeah. hyped about the Raptors win right. 
But uh, but yeah, so that that's a dope song. Um, can you? Yeah, I was just in, uh, <laughs> like I was just in Vancouver uh, filming a documentary with these people who they did a documentary about the Vancouver Grizzlies and then now they're yeah. in the second one and they like followed me around on tour performing the song in Vancouver. So there was like That's probably so cool. 30, 30 people who showed up to the Vancouver show decked out in Grizzlies gear, just like ready to support, like be in the, be in the documentary and things like that. So that coming out sometime in the future. I mean, the goal, I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to talk more about it. You mentioned um, uh, a couple times, you know, going through the alcoholism and stuff, and now you're uh, six months, is it six months sober? Yeah, I think I'm coming up on, like, seven months without without drinking. Uh, for, yeah, first of all, uh, congratulations on that. Thanks. And, and secondly, like, do you, what, like, if there are any, like, do you notice any differences when you're performing uh, now as, as opposed to, like, some of the struggles you're going through before? Do you, yeah, um, what, what are, what are the differences? I mean, like, the thing is, is that, I mean, it's similar to comedy where it's really easy to fall into alcoholism in, like, an industry where you perform in bars because you're, you're there for setup, you're there for sound check, you're there, you know, you're just there the whole time in a right. bar. A lot of the times it's free. So, you know, you're getting just free bottles and things like that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, now now that I'm not drinking before I go on stage, there's more nerves. Um, it's, like, not as easy to just, like, sometimes I'll get more stressed out before I go on stage, but um once i get up there it's so easy like it's nuts it's nuts how easy it is because i'm used to like like i'm used to having to rap really well after drinking like pretty much a full bottle of whiskey and try and hide it from people right you know so now to not have to and every word can be on point and i'm not like saying things that i regret that much as when i was drinking because you know, you get drunk, you start ranting in between songs, saying stupid things. So, yeah, have, I, I'd imagine that having to hide it, it would be quite a challenge. Well, I mean, I hide it as much as I, I mean, I would chug, I would like play Stone Cold and chug like three tall boys on stage. Like I would do, I would do stuff like that. It yeah. was like part of my, it's kind of like part of the, part of the act. Um, and then I just got sick. Like I just, I got just like come home from tour and I'd be like shitting blood and just like sick. And I'd just be like, this is so stupid. Like, why am I doing this? So I would just try and do take like one day off a week. I was that much of an alcoholic where I was drinking like probably 15, 16 beers a day. And so for one day a week on Wednesdays, I called it water Wednesdays. I would just take the night off and try and do something like go shoot hoops or you know, try and do something positive. And I get the shakes, you know, sweating. It's hard to go right. to bed, like all that stuff. Um, and then I just kind of got, I had to like amp myself up on it. I had to kind of view it as another challenge, like just like making an album or whatever. I kind of had to just get amped on it. Like, let's do this. Let's go. Let's let's make this a thing. So I did Sober October, like, which is like a thing Joe Rogan talks about, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, just a friend dared me to do it, said if I could follow through with it, that he'd find my son here. Um, and then after that, I was just like happier without it. So it's just, there's no real reason to go back. I was spending so much money. I was getting sick from it. A lot of my friends, like I'm around it constantly and it doesn't bug me. I don't care. Yeah. If people. I think it's so corny to be a uh, recovering alcoholic and like try and, try and like sway people over at the bar or try and like just make it an awkward thing i don't want to do that um i still facilitate parties i still throw parties at bars you know what i mean i would right. I, i'm part of it some people can handle it i couldn't so well so, yeah. i mean i've never had like the same struggles i guess but i can kind of relate in the sense that like yeah most most i, I try not to to uh to drink before the show anyways because i find that when i have in the past like i end up thinking i absolutely killed it <laughs> when i get off stage and i'm like then i i'll have a recording and i'll be like i know i noticed myself like slurring my words or not 
yeah. getting the punchlines out as much as I want. And, uh, you know, then there's also, like, like, not to say bad things about people that do or, or smoke weed or any of those things, but, yeah, I, that's, like, that happens a lot. And I just, I find, like, for me, I just want to try to get the performance out as best as I can. And then yeah, maybe afterwards I'll at least a little bit. But um, For me, like, I, I smoke weed before I go on stage 100%. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's, I, I still smoke weed, which is why, like, I don't really like coining the terms sober per se i still smoke weed right uh, but i call i call it being hydrated <laughs> h-i-g-h hydrated i used yeah. to be on add medicine i used to be on anxiety medicine i'm off all of that i just use different strains for different things so but some people yeah you can't you if you, you don't if you're not familiar you're not experienced with with smoking weed if you go on yeah. stage after that it's probably pretty terrifying but well, especially, and I find, like, yeah, you said, like, there's different strains, so I, I like, I like to still be able to do stuff when I'm high, like. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, depending, yeah. depending. For me, if I have one that's productive, if I smoke something productive, then I'm working till 3 a.m. every night, right? So. Okay. I need something to, like, help me turn off my brain sometimes, so. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. I, I get that, I get that. My brain's constantly going 24-7. Um. Like you mentioned, like working with Jan Arden, like I mean, that's a that's a huge name. I mean, she's a yeah, big within Canada, and um, like some of these people you work with, how how does it, how do you first of all maybe get uh, a feature on a song, and 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 then you maybe talk about uh, yeah some relationship with these artists. So Jan is like the th crazy thing about Jan is that she's only ever collabed with like Michael Buble and like Sarah McLaughlin. And, you know, so with her, um, I did like a viral YouTube video and she was a radio host at CBC. So she wanted to interview me. Um, and so I went into the studio and she's just hilarious. Like she's just like making all these crazy jokes. She, I walk into the studio and the first thing she says on, on mic, on CBC, is Transit just showed up and he's naked or something. Like <laughs> and I'm just like, this is such a wild intro. Like, <laughs> CBC is like family friendly, though. Yeah, I know. Well, she's funny, though. Like, she's not yeah. really, she's not really that family friendly, which is why people love her. So That's awesome. We did the interview. We joked around the whole time. We had fun. And then afterwards... After the interview, I was like, hey, I like I really want to make a song with you. And yeah. she was like, I was like, would you ever be interested in that? And she's like, yeah, I would be. So she gave me her email and her phone number. And I was like, oh, my God. So then I was like thinking, like, OK, how much is this going to cost me? Because like a name this size probably gonna get in like the thousands of dollars like to feature her like properly it probably would have been like ten thousand dollars but she's like don't tell my label and i'll do it for free and i was like oh damn so she came to like my homie's studio like in his house the parents are there like starstruck um oh my god it's jan arden in our house she comes just lays down the vocals like at this humble studio i was like yo do you want to go to like a like a bigger studio more fancy spot she's like no let's just do it right here um so we laid it down and yeah i'm not like the craziest fan of the song anymore like i was super young when i made it there's a lot of inside jokes in the song like i rap about like 40 calgary bands that don't really exist anymore um but it was a cool thing because we got Ninchi in the video um, and I got to make a song with Jan Arden. But then it just kept getting like attached to my name where anytime anyone would talk to me about any song, they would talk about Calgary and yeah. Vice did like a couple different articles shitting on it. And I was oh. just like, I was just kind of like sick of it. I was sick of being known for that song. So mm. it hit like 100,000 views and I made it private. And just because I wanted to rebrand, I wanted a different sound. I wanted people to listen to my new music. Um, 
it was fun. It was a good song. It made it's Calgary history, but yeah, I didn't really want to be like remembered for it. The slogan though, like the "We Are Not All Cowboys" slogan, like that was a big thing. Like that was a cool. Yeah. Like it got like McLean's. Yeah, McLean's magazine wrote a song about, or wrote an article about it. Um, it was in like the National Post and like just cr- crazy shit like that. So I wanted to see if I could get it trending on Twitter in like 2012. I wanted to see if I could get it trending on Twitter and it ended up trending above Calgary Stampede um, like on the final day. So it was just cool to kind of do like a local movement. But then it was like, all right, let's move on. What do you think is your biggest accomplishment from your career so far? I think the biggest accomplishment is that I'm still doing it because the majority of people like this is a brutal industry and you can have months where you don't know where the rent's coming or you can have months where you have so much money you don't know what to do with it. It's a really hard uh, life to live. So I think the biggest accomplishment is that I'm making the best music of my life right now. I'm still loving it. I smile on stage. I'm 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 happy like yeah that's it I used I have a new line in a new song where I say when I was younger all I wanted was celebrity but peace of mind is dope as fuck and that's how you'll remember me and so that's just where I'm at right now is that's that's my main accomplishment I'm still here cool man and uh, so uh, moving forward what what are what are some of your goals for the future are there certain things you're hoping to achieve or looking towards yeah, we like I'm putting I'm going to put out another record and like I'm just we're going to try and get back we're going to get back on the road soon. We're going to do more stuff in BC um coming up here and yeah, just keep building Couch Money as a brand, keep putting on other artists that from the city and from around Canada that we that we like and people like James Colt and whatever and different guys like that. So, yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah, yeah, thanks, thanks Nick. Time and uh, it's great talking to you. And yeah, it's great talking to you. And hopefully, future. I'll uh, see you at a see you at a show sometime. Sounds great, man. I want to see you perform. Yeah, absolutely. I'll let you know next time I'm in Calgary. Okay, sounds good, man. Thank you. Writing the men that I used to be The depressed artist kinda suited me Addicted to the feeling Both selfishly and musically They've tried to help me change Attempts have ended futilely But I ain't done yet Mending promises that sun kept What I knew of love was insecurity and drunk sex but now I've started seeing sunsets The way that it isn't the way that it was Waited all day to get faded and buzz Seems kinda basic to say of a fuck Took all the hate to replace it with love These hands have been callous Still hold no malice The night sweats and shake shit I wear them like fashion These bug guys seem rough times Now they see sunrise Hop out my duvet My demons say touche It's tough when you feel that you're stuck in despair People that love you ain't even aware All of your life is still up in the air You might tuck in a chair but don't fucking confess Fresh air.